That's great. I want the kids who are here to come on up to the front and take a seat. Is there a bunch of children here?
Hungry? Well, thank you. Okay, here's another word. Here's another word. Take your right hand and the middle finger and touch right here. What do you think this is? Heart. Exactly. Heart. Okay, here's another one. Same finger. This thumb and this finger touching. Put this hand here. Put it like this and bring it up. What does that mean? That means soul. Heart. Soul. Now, sometimes you can do this for soul. But it's easier just to do this. Okay? So, heart with the finger, remember? Soul. What's this one? Mind. Mind. So, heart. Soul. Mind. What's the last one? Strength. What do you think strength might be? Close. Almost. This is what strength is. You touch and then do that. Okay? Strength. It can also be power. But it's strength. Okay? So let's do this one more time. I love God. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Let's try it again. I love God. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Do a little bit faster. I love God. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Try it one more time. A little bit faster. I love God. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Heart. Soul. Mind. Strength. Okay. Ready? We're going to sing it now. Mr. Trey, bring up the song. Okay. Ready? Remember, I love the Lord. As soon as we begin the show, love the Lord.
soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Help this to become the, the mantra that they speak all week long, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on back now. Thank you guys so much for coming. That was hard. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to. <laughs> I was practicing all morning long. I can. Um, it's I can. It's actually on YouTube called Love Your God. But I can I can do it. Um, not the, it doesn't have the actions, but um, but I'll I'll sort it out. I'll sort it out. Okay. All right. Before I get into the sermon, I have to confess something, and it's important because it's germane to what I'm trying to say to you guys this morning. Um, I've been studying all week long, not just for the sermon, but for Bible study and other things. And I spent yesterday evening studying, and then I went to bed last night, and I just wasn't finally settled in. So I got up this morning at 5, and I was over at the church at my office by 6 o'clock, and I was working all the way, really, literally up to just a few minutes ago, because the Lord was just downloading stuff to me constantly. But what was so crazy, I told my wife when I went over to get dressed this morning, um, I had been over here from 6 o'clock until about 8.30 maybe for almost two and a half hours. And I told Renee, it felt like I was trying to climb up a muddy slope and couldn't get a grip. No matter how hard I tried, I just, I was reading and I was studying. And so, so often, I can't express it to you. If you've ever written a paper or ever done a research project or something, usually Things pop out as you're studying and you write them down and, and you know you know how to put together your paragraphs and nothing was happening. I mean, I was reading book after book after book, paragraph after paragraph, article after article, commentary after commentary, nothing. And I was like, this is getting really ridiculous. And around 8.30 this morning, I, I was in frustration. I went, oh, God, help me. And the Lord was like, finally. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, you haven't had my ask for my help. You've been doing this all on your own strength for the last two and a half hours, Bob. Oh, God. Please forgive me. How stupid. Especially concerning what I'm going to be preaching. But thank you. And I then said, I submit to you. I confess my sin. And I ask you to please help me. Show me what you want your people to hear today. We couldn't have done this at six. We could have if you had. I figured you had it. So go for it. I'll just watch. Amazing. 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 Anyway. Um. If I were to say to you the word Shema or the Shema, do you know what that means? God is everywhere. Nope. I'm not, I, I, I agree with your statement, but that's, that's not what the Shema is. I'm sorry? 
It is the prayer that the Jewish people have on their lips throughout their entire day, from the time they wake up until the time they go to bed. It is the prayer that they're supposed to say to themselves continually. And it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, Jesus added the word strength. The Shema says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Oh, he added the word mind. The, 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 the Shema says, the, and your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Now, as I was reading about the Shema, one of the things I learned that I didn't know until I did this study was that the Jewish people expanded the Shema by incorporating, that's the Shema is found, you can write this down, I don't have screens or anything. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 is where the Shema is found. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. But if you go back, go farther into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 29, is an expansion of the Shema. And here's how it, here's the, how it reads. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your souls, he will give the rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your livestock. You shall be you shall eat and be full. Take care. Lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of your heart, of your, of mine in your heart and in your soul and you'll bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your father to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness of, to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, 
If you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Now, did you hear where it says that you're supposed to put them on your doorposts and your gates? Have you ever seen a Jewish person or in a movie or a television show, a Jewish person, as they're walking out the door, they touch something, they go, do you know what that is? That's a mezuzah. Do you know what's in there? A scroll. You know what's on written on the scroll? The Shema. In obedience to Deuteronomy chapter 11, they have put it on the doorposts of their home. Literally. And every time they enter or leave, they touch it and put it to their lips. God's word on my lips. May God's word be on my lips. May God's word be on my heart. May I ever be mindful of God in my life as I come out, as I go in. Would that we actually did that in our own lives. Let me give you another one. Numbers chapter 15, a further expansion of how to live out Shema. Numbers 15 verses 37 through 41. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and to remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What was he saying there? Through Moses to his people. He was saying, you need to come up with some way that throughout your day, wherever you are, you are ever mindful of the fact that it is me, not you. It is mine, not yours. That I have to be number one. If that happens, blessings. If it doesn't, curses. You cannot demand and expect from me blessings if you don't put me first. End of discussion. It is not that I don't love you. It is not that I'm capricious and mean-spirited. It is this. I offer you love. I offer you blessing. I offer you everything that's in in my disposal to you. I will pour out on you. But in order for that to happen, I must be number one. End of discussion. Now it's yours to do with as you will. I'm not going to force you to do it. Kind of like a pastor sitting in his office at six in the morning, scrabbling, trying to get his sermon together because he's got to have it done in five hours. And if I had just said, Lord, help, put him first instead of me trying to do my job. I'd have been home having breakfast with my wife. I'm hungry, people. I didn't have breakfast. (laughs) Now, now that's Old Testament stuff. Jesus is in charge. We're Christians. We follow the New Testament. Well, I just sang a song. When Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. 
And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In all of this, you fully encompass all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, you want to sum up everything that's in the Old Testament? You do those two things. God first and love everyone else. That's Jesus' command on God's commands. But if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, write this one down. Matthew 10, verse 37. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He repeated that or it was repeated again in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let me restate that one. If anyone comes after me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, let me, let me exegete this a little bit for you. Jesus is not commanding you to hate people. Jesus is saying, my, your love for me, for God, must be so much more that everything else looks like hate. If at any point your relationship with any other human being goes above God, we got a problem. And that's hard to say because I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love my mom and dad. I love my brothers and sisters. But I cannot in any way, shape or form say no to God because I want to for them. Whatever the case may be. I have to say yes to God above and beyond anything I want and desire for my family. My dear ones, my friends, anybody that I love and care about. It has to be God first, then them. Now, I'm a pastor. There's an expression that I picked up when I was in the military. It was called rank has its privileges. The problem was that there's a sec there's a corollary to that. Rank has its privileges, yes, but rank has its responsibility even more. And we are about to look at the high priest of Israel. The highest office that any Israelite can hold was the high priest position. Now, let me, Craig, bring up that, that high priest slide, please. Okay, I'm going to look that way because it's easier for me to look at this screen. But just look up at this screen, okay? See at the top, what does it say? Aaron. Who is Aaron? He was the high priest, but I mean, who was he in, in, in relation to anybody else in the Bible? He was Moses' brother. If you remember the story when God called Moses at the burning bush, Moses said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't talk right. I can't. I got some slow speech. Please let somebody else. So he, God allowed Aaron to be a partner in ministry, if you will, to uh, Moses. And Aaron spoke on Moses' behalf before the Pharaoh. So Moses was still the leader, but Aaron was the mouthpiece. Aaron then was assigned by God to be the intermediary between the nation of Israel 
and God himself by being the one to offer the sacrifice, being the one to bring before the people the incense into the Holy of Holies and being the only one of all of the nation of Israel who had the right to stand in the very presence of God. Everyone else had to go through the high priest or through the priesthood. Now, Aaron had four kids, four guys. We don't know if he had any daughters because they didn't list them in the Bible. But the four boys that he had were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, if you will look at verse, uh, leave that screen up, Craig, please. Look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. I'll read it for you. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer. A censer is a big metal uh, vessel, and it's usually on a chain. And they put hot coals in it, and then they put incense in it, and it smokes. And then they hold the chain, and they do this, and they're spreading smoky, incensey stuff around, okay? So, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and burned unauthorized fire before the Lord, which God had not commanded them. Now, let me explain what this is. God had laid out in the books, we, we don't have time this evening, this morning to read through everything, but God gave very specific instructions on how they were to worship God and what was supposed to be done and how it was supposed to be done and who, what they were supposed to wear and how they were supposed to, I mean, in tiny little details, tiny little details on what was expected and how they were supposed to do it. And they took it upon themselves because of whatever was going on. They decided to offer to God incense. Because that's what they'd seen other priests do in other religions. So they did it. And God was like, uh, no, this isn't what I asked of you. This isn't what I was expecting from This is what I demanded from you. So what does it say? They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. Nadab and Abihu, two sons of the high priest, two men who were trying to live holy and righteous lives, two men who knew they were going to be having the privilege of serving God in the tabernacle, they didn't follow the commandments and they were killed instantly. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron kept his mouth shut. It says held his peace. But he stood there with his mouth closed. Imagine you are Aaron. You're trying to learn how to be the high priest. All of these rules, all of these things you've got to do. If you go back and read through it, literally Moses took him through step by step. Just like I did with the kids. Step by step by step, how to do it. And then he said, okay, now you do it. Okay, that's fine. And at one point, Aaron made a choice and Moses confronted him and said, what did you do? He said, well, I, I, this is my logic. And Moses went, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, that's okay. But literally, Aaron was learning his job. And Nadab and Abihu jumped ahead and did something they weren't supposed to do. And God killed them. And Aaron's the father going, my boys. Boys. And Moses said, you're the high priest. You keep your mouth shut. God is to be honored. God is to be sanctified. 
You don't have the right and privilege of being a father at this moment. You are the high priest. And Aaron kept his mouth shut. With all the stuff going on inside of him as a father who just watched his boys die, Aaron stood and held his peace. He was the high priest. Moses then called Mishael and Elzaphan, who were the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron. So to make that easier, Mishael and Elzaphan were cousins of Aaron. And Moses said to the cousins, come here, carry your net, your cousins away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So these two guys came near and they literally laid their jacket, their, their, their cloaks down and put the roasted, I'm not to be gross, but put the roasted bodies into the, the, the cloaks and picked them up and carried them outside of the camp. Now, why did Moses do that? Because part of the rules of the priesthood is they, they can't touch a dead body. If they touch a dead body, they're unclean. They can't perform their duties. It wasn't that God was trying to be capricious and say, you can't have feelings about your son. It was God has already given him an assignment. His assignment is to bring the needs of the people before God. And he can't do that if he's unclean. And he can't be clean if he touches a dead body. Therefore, though they are your children, you cannot touch them. Don't you dare go near those bodies. We'll take care of this for you. Aaron had to hold his peace. He had to stand there quietly while his Nephews picked up his sons and carried them out of the camp and buried them. He couldn't even go to the grave. And this is what Moses said to his brother Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar. Because see, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, all four brothers under Aaron. So they watched their brothers get killed. And Moses said to these three men, do not let the hair of your head hang loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die too. Wrath will come on this congregation if you do. Let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that God has kindled. Do not, you do not go outside of the entrance of this tabernacle. You do not do it lest you die. Because the anointing oil of the Lord is on you. You are the high priest and you are the priests under the high priest. And so they did according to the word of Moses. With great rank comes great responsibility. Now, what are the benefits they didn't have to work for their food in the sense that they didn't have to grow it. They didn't have to nurture it. They just simply got it brought to them because they had a pretty big job. So what did God say in Leviticus chapter seven? Keep this up, Craig. Just keep it up for the rest of the morning. Leviticus chapter seven, chapter verses 28 through 34. Moses gave some very specific instructions. We don't have time this morning to read through absolutely everything, but let me give you the gist of this. This passage, Leviticus 7, 28 through 34, talks about how they got their food. When, when an Israelite wanted to make a sacrifice before God, the, the person would bring an animal. And there were certain rules about the animal. 
And then there were certain things about that animal's body, carcass, that the priests got a portion of. And the portion that they got was very specific. And how they could get it was very specific. And when they got it was very specific. So Aaron and Moses, Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar had to learn these rules and follow these rules. They had already seen what happened when you don't follow the rules. Obey the commandments and you'll be blessed. Obey the commandments and you'll be blessed. But don't obey and you're going to find curse. And in Moses' words, you're going to die. Just like Nadab and Abihu. Now, all of this was background. I still got 25 minutes good. It's okay. We're fine. All of this was intro and background to the passage that we have to look at this morning. Because so many of you probably didn't know a lot of that this morning. And so I needed to make sure you knew that before we could talk about the rest of what we could be looking at. Because it wouldn't have made sense otherwise. We are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and then 22 through 36. And I want to tell you, one of the things I appreciate about studying the Bible is my Bible doesn't make a rosy picture. My Bible tells me the story warts and all. It doesn't hide human failings. It doesn't hide human issues. It shows me how to live my life before God And understanding as I look at people's lives, I see bad things happening and I can learn things from that. So although this is not a pleasant passage of scripture, and quite frankly, as I was scrambling up that that mucky hill over the last couple of days, I really considered just skipping over it. And the Lord would not allow that. I truly did. I thought, I looked at, I looked at my preaching schedule. I got it all scheduled out until October of next year. And I'm like, Oh God, I could just adjust this here. And the Lord was like, excuse me. No, no. But God, this one's really ugly. We just got through Easter. This is just to be a nice one. No. <sighs> okay. Which is why I was struggling last night because I couldn't come up with an answer because I was struggling against God about what I should be preaching because I didn't want to preach this. Read with me. First Samuel chapter two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Taking me a second to get it up. What did I say? Twelve? It's lengthy, but it's okay. When the sons of Eli, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Eli was the high priest. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Excuse me. Before we get into this, I, that's, I, I got off track here a little bit. Okay. Look at the screen. Aaron, Eleazar, Ithamar, Abed, Nadab and Abihu are dead. So Eleazar, after Aaron dies, he becomes the high priest. Then his eldest son, Phinehas, then Abishua, then Bucky, then Uzi. But then there's a break. And all of a sudden, the passage we read is that Eli is now the high priest. He's leading worship at Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle has been from the time that they settled when Joshua led the people into, into the land. But Eli, if you go back and look, is a, is a descendant of Ithamar. He's still a descendant of Aaron, so he's of the blood of Aaron, but he's not of Eleazar, and we don't know what happened because the Bible doesn't talk about it. All we know is that Eleazar took over once his dad Aaron died, and then Phinehas, Abishua, Bucky, and Uzi were the, the five uh, high priests after Aaron's death. And then at some point... 
Eli takes over for Uzi. We don't know why, because those records are not available to us. Eli has two sons, Hopni and Phineas. Phineas's sons, apparently Phineas was the oldest, I guess. Phineas's son was Ahitub, then Ahia, then Ahimelech, then Abiathar. And then if you get to second Kings and Second Chronicles and Second Samuel, not Second Samuel, but Second Kings, Second Chronicles, you'll see Solomon coming into the picture. And toward the end of David's life, there are two members of the high priest household. One is Zadok, who is a great, 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 great grandson of Eleazar. And then there is Abiathar, who is a great, 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 great grandson of Ithamar. And Abiathar is in the high priest position. And Zadok is a priest in the hierarchy of the temple, but he's not the high priest. And then Adonijah, I'm giving you too many names to remember all this, but Adonijah tries to usurp the throne from his dying father, David. And David is the decision that Solomon is supposed to take over for him. And two priests separate. Abiathar aligns himself with Adonijah, the rebel who's trying to take over. Zadok stays with Solomon. So when ultimately Solomon becomes king, Solomon says, Zadok, you are the high priest. Abiathar, I have every right to kill you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you live out your life knowing that you lost the high priesthood because of your actions. You lose all of your privileges, all of your benefits. And let me read to you. Where is it at? First Kings chapter two, verse 27. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that God had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. What? What are you talking about, Pastor? What word did God speak against the house of Eli when they were living in Shiloh? That's what we're about to read. So turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and then 22 through 36. Hello. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron of pot. And all the fork brought up to the priest would then take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. That is not we didn't talk about it. That is not what Leviticus says. Moses gave very specific instructions on the priest's part, and it is not to stick a fork into a boiling pot of meat. They're supposed to take the meat before it's roasted or before it's boiled. And they're only supposed to get a certain part. It's not supposed to be this random put the fork in and take what you want. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the meat to the priest to roast. He will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let me burn the fat first, And then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. 
This is Hapi and Phineas, the sons of Eli, the high priest. Any Israelite who tried to come and offer a sacrifice in accordance with the Mosaic law was being, was had to go through the priest and the priest was violating the commandment, not doing what they knew they were supposed to do because they didn't like what they were getting. They wanted to choose for themselves what they wanted. And then skip down to 22. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they, what? How they slept with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting? And he said to them, why do you do such things, boys? For I hear of the evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it's no good. It's not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will immediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now that phrase sounds horrible. Sounds like God foreordained that they were going to die. No, God didn't foreordain that they were going to die. God said, you do what I tell you to do and you'll be blessed. You don't obey the commandments and you will be cursed. And these people had reached the point where they did not follow the commandments. Why? Go back to chapter 2, verse 12. What did it say? We skipped over it. The sons of Eli were worthless scoundrels. They did not know the Lord. These priests who were serving under the high priest, these men who were receiving the sacrifices of every Israelite who wanted to bring praise and honor to God, were tainting that sacrifice with their own selfish, worthless selves, stealing from God, sleeping with women that weren't their wives. One of the commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. These men were so self-centered and so I am the best and you nobody can touch me because I... Now, stop for a second. Stop for a second. Hopney, Phineas, come on. Come on. Who died for offering unauthorized fire? Nadab and Abihu. And who were they? Your great-great-great-great-great-great-uncles. This should have been family lore. This should have been stuff that they were taught from the time they were little. Never disobey God. Never try to change what the commandments are. We are priests of the Almighty. We have certain rules we must follow. From the time these boys could understand their language, they should have been taught over and over and over again. We serve a God who does not put up with foolishness. You must serve Him with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You must not violate the commands of the Lord if you expect blessings, and you certainly don't want to die. This should have been pounded into them from the time they were little kids. But these worthless scoundrels, so says the word of God, didn't know the Lord, even though they were serving as the priest's right-hand guys. Even as they came before the altar and sprinkled the blood. 
I can't even imagine the gall of those two men thinking that they could get away with something like that. But even more than that, a father who knows this truth, who should have instilled it in his children, stands there as this impotent old man who's been shoved aside, even though he's the high priest, they're really running the show. And he says, oh, my sons, it's not good. The report I'm hearing of the people of the Lord spreading abroad. Good grief, people. Our family name is being sullied throughout all of Israel because of what you're doing. And everyone knows about it. If someone sins against a man, God's going to mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they refuse to listen to the voice of their father. Then verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli. And he said to him, thus says the Lord. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to your house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Who was this prophecy coming to? Not Hopni and Phineas. It came to Eli. He was the high priest. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares... Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom... The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hopni and Phineas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. We are looking at First Samuel chapter 2. We'll come to Samuel chapter 4 on the 30th of this month. But there are two verses you need to hear from 1 Samuel chapter 4 this morning. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, died. And we already heard about Abiathar. 
the last of the line of high priests under Eli. He was left to literally beg for food. He had no access otherwise. It was only through the mercy of other people because he lost his livelihood because he did not do what he was supposed to do. He came under the curse that was pronounced to Eli, his great, 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 great grandfather. And it was finally fulfilled through the life of Abiathar. So in conclusion, let's close this up now. I have a quote <clears throat> from an article that I read. The article was titled, Who Was Eli in the Bible? It's found on Christianity.com. Just a simple little article. But I, this sentence just gripped my soul. Worst betrayal. Eli devalued the Lord God to keep peace with his two sons. The man who was supposed to lead his house while they led the nation of Israel to the throne of grace was too weak as a father to properly guardian, shepherd, encourage, chastise. And the end result was his sons were declared to be scoundrels who did not know the Lord, who were faking it as they stood in the temple, pretending to be worshiping a God that they didn't know. And when he confronted them, they basically spit back at him and went, leave us alone, old man, because it was too late. Well, there are two more passages of scripture I want to I want to leave with us as we are closing up this look at this warts and all high priest thing. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34. It's a very familiar passage. You probably don't even have to look it up. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their peep, their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one of his have to teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give, forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So God said through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm changing the way I'm relating to humanity. The day is going to come when the covenant that I've had with all of you is going to change. And this is going to change this way. No longer are you going to have to go to a tabernacle or a temple and offer a sacrifice through a priest. Now you will no longer have to teach other people about me because they can know me intimately, personally, one-on-one. -on -one. How? The very presence of God Almighty will be with them in their soul, communing with them inside, guiding them into all truth. We just looked at this last Wednesday in our Bible study. But the, there are words just before Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and following. 
that I want you to read. It's Jeremiah 31, 29 and 30. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. And what that's saying is, God has said, I am changing the way I'm dealing with humanity. It used to be, if your father sinned, your whole house suffered. Look at the step, look at what happened with Eli and his family. His whole family line was under a curse because of what Eli and Phineas and Hopney did. But God said, I'm changing the way that I'm dealing with humans. No longer will the curse come down on an entire family just because the great, 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 great grandfather doesn't do the things that they're supposed to do. Now, every single one of you have an onus before me. You cannot say, oh, my father and mother never taught me. So therefore, the blame is on them. No, no. God says the way I'm dealing with you now is you sin, you pay. You don't have an excuse to say, well, I was never taught. You're hearing it now. God has declared, we looked at it just, just last week, Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us are under the penalty of death, not because of what our great-grandmother did or our great-great-grandfather, whoever. It's because of what you did. And you have an onus before God. And what is the onus before God? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the entire commandments wrapped up into one easy to remember sentence or two sentences. And you have a responsibility before God, regardless of what anybody else did or didn't do in your life. Regardless of how you were raised, regardless of what church you were part of, you have a responsibility before God to read his word, to talk to him regularly, and to live the life he's calling you to live. And if you don't, it's on you. And you can't blame anybody else. And so I encourage you, set before yourself on your doorposts, on your gate, on the corners of your clothing, on the visor of your car, on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator door, at your bedside, whatever it takes for you to always have before me. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is your God. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And if at any point, oh God, if I am not living this out, then please show me so that I can confess and repent of my sin and get back in right relationship with you. Keep that ever before you. Because the time is going to come, folks, when you have to stand before the Almighty and give an accounting for what you've done. Not what anybody else in your line did, what you've done. And it means you cannot, you cannot claim anything other than I'm at fault. Please forgive me. And you need to do the please forgive me before you die. Because it says in the scriptures, there is one 
<coughs> excuse me, the judgment comes after we die. You can't make it up at the end. You've got to live the way God wants you to live now. I think I said everything I needed to say. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, these are not easy words. These are hard words. But this is the truth out of your word. We owe you allegiance, period. We need to serve you, period. We need to put you first, period. Please help us to do that, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.